Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be talking about e-commerce uh, orchestration in your checkout, dealing with payment orchestration that's going to make your CFO smile. <laughs> uh, not something that often happens when we're talking about e-commerce, that usually it's uh, it's pretty straightforward in a lot of ways when we talk about payments or isn't, or you know, basically that just the, the choices for finance are pretty limited. And I came across some really interesting topics around payment orchestration and, and thought that we'd have our friends uh, at Gravy spend some time chatting with us, answering some questions. So uh, with no further ado, we've got John here from the Gravy team. John, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Yeah, so I'm, I'm John Lana. I'm the CEO and founder of Gravy. Um, I've been in payments forever. So I kind of started in this in 1997, my first payment company called Cybersource. They kind of invent, it was probably the first internet payment gateway. So I went, I went from there to, to when we sold it to Visa and moved on and uh, joined a, another payment company. And then, uh, you know, 16 long years ago, I joined PayPal as one of the early employees of PayPal outside North America and, uh, and, and did that for many years. So really, uh, all I've ever done is payments. I'm very boring at parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you haven't been hanging out with the right people. Uh, I think <laughs> our, our listeners would have a lot of fun with you. No, well, I, I'm certainly very familiar with CyberSource and PayPal for that matter. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and the acquisition by Visa of CyberSource along with other gateways like Authorize.net. And, uh, you know, and so there's certainly a, a lot of history there. And I think history that's still being written because the challenges that are facing the e-commerce sector, the, the e-commerce industry, are evolving. Um, economies of scale, of course, is a phrase that comes to mind, that problems that weren't as big a deal in the early days of e-commerce, when it was just lovely to be able to, uh, to take an online order, um, are, are certainly changing. But before we get deep into uh, what's going on in payment tech, can you tell me a little bit about how Gravy got its name? And, and especially, I've got to ask you about the spelling because there's sure. some uniqueness there. Yeah. So um, as you can tell from my accent, or maybe less now, I've been living in the US for a bit, but I'm actually British. So um, And Gravy in London, which is where I was, um, means money. So yeah, that, that's what Gravy means is, is a slang for money. And, uh, and the four, um, if you press... Uh, shift and four in your keyboard, you get a dollar sign. Um, that, that's kind of the marketing story here. The truth is five letter, um, domains cost about $1.5 million. And we were, we were a seed funded startup. So we, we had to go for that, the four in there. Um, but ultimately what we've learned is people remember it very often. They remember what it is and it gets a conversation started. So we, we made the decision to stick with it. And, uh, and that's our brand. I haven't had a problem with it yet. And it's funny mm -hmm. that I know other companies that have injected numbers in the middle. Um, Octane comes to mind um, and it's it stuck with me. So, uh, I, you know, and you wouldn't always think it when you first see something like that, that it just seems a little unusual. But I think the unusual part works yeah. in its favor. So <laughs> uh, yeah, particularly interesting. Um, now, when I think about e-commerce payments, 
you know, I am seeing a little bit of a, a ramp up in the space where we did go for years and years with more basic gateways and there were new ones and maybe there was a new feature here or there or benefit to using one as it related to maybe fraud or I don't know, you know, thinking companies like PayPal that have added a lot in, you know, with Braintree and other things, you know, maybe crypto or some other new thing. But, you know, you know, now I, I'm seeing a lot more buy now, pay later. Um, there's all these things that, that are coming up. Are merchants able to keep up with it? Because I, I don't know, from my vantage point, it seems difficult at the very least. Yeah, and that's part of the reason that, that we created Gravy, right? The, the, the Gravy was born out of frustration. I was sitting there at PayPal investing in sort of early stage startups. That's, that was my last role at PayPal. And I'd go and see merchants say, you should add Venmo or you should, you know, consider adding this payment type. And they'll all be like, yeah, we'd love to do that, but it's going to take two years. And I'll be like, why is this so hard? And, uh, and that's really a lot of where Gravy came from is that there is all of this payment innovation happening around the world and things are changing very, very quickly. And because of the way that merchants have built their, their, their technology stack, and the fact that they have these huge, huge teams of payment engineers means adoption is super slow. So it, it was that side of it. And then, you know, we're a COVID baby, but Gravy was born during COVID. Um, and COVID has changed things for everybody in many different ways, but, but particularly in e-commerce, it, you know, everyone had to go international pretty damn quick and, and had to sort of, you know, tailor their business that perhaps was like 15% online to 100% online very, very quickly. And learn, you know, they learned a lot of the lessons here. I mean, you think during COVID, the people were sitting at home having to order things from home. Now, if you're part of that huge group of even just North Americans that don't have a credit card or don't have credit rating or unbanked or underbanked, we should say, how the hell did you buy stuff when, you know, you needed to stay at home? And, and that to me made me a little bit worried about how, you know, how if we were creating a e-commerce like environment that was inclusive of everybody. And so for me, Gravy has the, you know, the passion of wanting to help merchants spin stuff out quicker, but also can we get new payment types enabled? Can we bring more people into this environment? So it's a bit, a bit more fair. Yeah. You know, there's, and we've seen, I think iterations here, you know, where subscriptions became more popular and continue to live on that, People don't always realize how much is happening in those checkout steps uh, and how many things you could be doing differently or could be offering consumers that might speak to a, a certain market segment or, or might do really well. I know we had um, the team from Catapult uh, on some time ago on the podcast and just talking about things like, uh, you know, consumers that, that have you know, lower than, than stellar credit, right? Or, or that mm -hmm. have no credit. They're new to the country or they're college students or you know, any number of, of situations, right? You know, it's not necessarily that they killed their credit or maybe they did, uh, but they have needs. And, yeah. um, you know, and so how do we all come together to best service these shoppers? You know, I, and I'm with you that I, I've seen for years and years where for merchants and somehow in terms of their backlogs and what's going to change in a website, adding that new thing in, that that's never been there before that's more you know the reward and loyalty program or gift cards or this or that sometimes you know because it's seen as more 
revenue generating comes earlier in the backlog and you know payments things sometimes linger a bit but it's also that i think that there's this perception you know that is when someone's put in a gateway and the amount of testing in their you know staging or dev site in their live site in sandbox mode and in live mode and dealing with back and forth and fine tuning that it's not necessarily a quick one off from getting it installed and working to having everything flowing properly for fulfillment and finance and every other step there's a lot of movement there it takes and about so I, eight, it takes about 8 months on average to roll out a new payment type across wow. the industry so that that's and I always joke, I've never met a happy pro- a payment product manager because they only ever get what they need. They never get what they want. And <laughs> By the time that they're done integrating the last thing, yeah, they've got a whole other laundry list of things that yeah. they're looking for. And, while, you know, and, and so it mirrors some of my experience. I don't know if the average I've seen is a full eight months, but I could see it. And, you know, and I, I think, and especially back to economies of scale, the bigger they are, the longer yeah. I'm sure that, uh, and certainly from my experience that it can take. So, you know, so that's thinking about new features and better features and keeping up with trends. Mm -hmm. What about backups? Because I've certainly seen big merchants have gateway issues for one reason or another, payment processor issues for one reason or another, Um, you know, server issues at the gateway or, um, or they something to do with underwriting where they're now selling more. We certainly... Um, you know, living through the last couple of years, saw businesses that skyrocketed in their online sales. And if you're not approved um, for certain growth or, or certain sizes of orders or other things, you can start to have challenges with some of your, your payment gateways and processors. You know, do, do you see this also fitting in that basically people don't have a good backup in a lot of cases because it's too hard? Um, it's because, you know, again, you, you get what you need. You don't get what you want. Um, so I think like people generally learn that later on, but if you look at the midsize and up market in the U S, um, over 50% have two more, two or more PSPs already. So it's something you need to do as you get bigger. Um, just generally, and it's not just technology backup is this certain PSPs are better at certain things than others. Um, and you know, if you start to go international, absolutely. You need more because, you know, if you're just accepting cards and you go to a market like Germany, where I think it's still only about 14% of Germans even own credit cards, like you're, you're not going to be able to sell there, right? And then you, you go to Southeast Asia where just cards don't, aren't really used. Um, so you, you, you need the option to keep on adding um, more gateways depending on your business. But even if you're a North American only merchant, once you get to a certain size, you want optionality, right? You don't want to be tied just to one PSP because ultimately, if you shop around, you can probably get a better price. But not only that, you can give yourself more freedom later. There's some things that you accept the cost of when you're smaller. And when you get bigger, you realize how much that cost actually is. Well, you know, when we're talking percentages or pennies, they start to really add up uh, as your volume goes up and, and what have you. Uh, you know, I, on that vein, you know, just digging in there a little bit, (laughs) uh, would you say if on average businesses have at least two payment service providers, would one of those be something more like a, uh, a PayPal or Amazon payments or something 
that I would consider maybe a, a more unique provider where the, the user probably already has a saved credit card, has an existing account? Or no, actually, so I think the stack comes from pure PSPs or payment service providers, so providing card processing. On top of that, I mean, you, you know, PayPal's a good example. You can get a PayPal through your processor. You can do a direct connection to PayPal. Um, there's many different ways to connect it, but that stacks purely around PSPs. I think merchants now, I mean, at a very minimum, you should have PayPal. And to be honest, uh, you should be adding some form of buy now, pay later if you're selling a, a decent, you know, a larger value item. Um, but even looking now at the, the new payment types coming around the world, it, it, you know, if you go, go to, to Latin, for example, every country has its own favorite way to pay and it's not cards. So you are constantly adding other ways to pay and you need to keep on adding those as you expand. And you don't want payments to be the thing that stops you rolling new markets out. Yeah. And, you know, so we've touched on here a few different items and really I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about orchestration because I think for me, that's some of the most interesting out of, uh, you know, out of your technology stack that, that your team has been building and iterating on and just in general uh, where things can go. Because as we've alluded to a little bit here, you will wind up with different um, different options in that checkout for the shopper that have different implications some are going to match up better with some shoppers for reasons that have to do with geography. But in some cases, it may have to do with something like the size of the order. that, um, And it may not even uh, impact the shopper as much as it does the seller. The The merchant is going to pay uh, maybe, you know, they've got one option that's going to cost them a few more pennies, but a lower percentage, which is great for a big ticket item or, or a large uh, a, a large cart. And they might have another that's only a few pennies and a larger percentage, which is great for smaller orders. And, you know, that normally there's absolutely no thought that goes into that, that there's just they get what they get. <laughs> and um, and there's money left on the table or money, perhaps, if we want to think about it that way, overpaid um, in gateway and, and processing fees because there's no logic around it, that it's it's just thrown out there that here are the options, you know, shopper, you pick what you want, um, as opposed to giving the shopper the option that the merchant would be best served with. Um, is that really uh, at the heart of the orchestration? Do you find that there are other areas that, that really are important to those orchestra orchestration steps? What is it that if we're talking about, you know, finance folks that gets them excited about being able to control Mm -hmm. which things are appearing to those shoppers in the payment section? So there's, there's two sides to orchestration, right? There's what, what we call back-end orchestration. And back-end orchestration is how you route the payments. So if the card is from Brazil, send it to eBanks. If it's from Europe, send it to Adyen. So there's, that is what more, uh, I mean, a lot of companies are calling orchestration. And that's back-end, routing payments, routing it to the cheapest route, all the rest of it. So from a finance perspective, that's the... The, the optionality that gives you the freedom to move, change, you know, perhaps deconstruct some of the, the, the gateways so that you, you know, getting different pricing because you're going direct to, to payment types, et cetera. So that's back-end orchestration. What you're talking about is what we call front-end orchestration. And that makes us pretty unique in this space. And most of the orchestrators out there are only doing back-end. We, we have front-end orchestration, which means we allow a retailer or a merchant in this case to 
to decide what payment types are visible to that consumer for that product at that time. So it's not, it, I mean, there's many different facets to that, but with our service, you're able to send through a variety of different metadata. And based on that metadata, you can customize that checkout in real time. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of our customers, Eleven Sports, uh, does soccer streaming right around the world. They stream soccer matches all over the place. Um, with them, uh, they're streaming to mar markets in LATAM and other places where some of the payment types take longer than you know one hour. They actually take up to three days for them to actually get the money to you. Now, if you're streaming a live soccer match, this is not ideal. So with them, they're able to send metadata through simplicity is the time of date match. And based on time of data match, then and the rules they put into the in the gravy workflow, that will determine what payment types are visible for that customer. That's a very simplistic format. A more complex one is a merchant sending us the entire shopping cart, right? So everything that's in their shopping cart. And then we we with the rules scan through it. And if there's something like alcohol or cigarettes in there. Then we can't offer PayPal because PayPal doesn't allow alcohol or cigarettes or a few other payment types don't. But if there is a TV in the shopping cart, then we can surface by now pay later at the top. So with our workflow engine, a merchant is in a visual no-code layer, able to really configure rules around how they're going to display it to the customer. Because the lazy way of doing it is to display everyone and let the customer sort it out. And we know that you know the more choice, the more work you make a customer do at checkout, the less likely they are to check out. Analysis, so this allows paralysis, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This allows you to actually give them not only what they want and and a really good example of this is buy now, pay later. Everybody talks about buy now, pay later and just adding a provider. The truth is, it's tribal. And you're seeing this data coming through very strongly in Asia at the moment is consumers have their favorite buy now, pay later provider. They don't want at the end of the month to get their, you know, their bank hit by three different providers, all from the different place at the same time. So they've lost track who they paid for what. They want, they actually have one they like, the one they want to stick with, the one that they go and check to see how much they're going to own in a month. And now more increasingly, well, ones are going to give them rewards and credits. You're not offering that one to that particular merchant, uh, that particular consumer. They're not going to shop on your website. And, and they are very religious about it. They are literally picking out the provider that they want to do. And they, sorry, you don't support this. I'm going to go and buy this item somewhere else. And the different buy now, play later providers also have very different demographics. You look at some of them, you know, the demographic is women under 30, others where they're millennials, others where they're slightly older. So you need an orchestration platform because you need to know who that customer is, what their demographic is, and what you're going to display to them because you could scare them off if you don't do it. It's interesting. You know, and, uh, I, I haven't heard it explained quite that way, and I can really appreciate that. Look, as a... Consumer, I remember going into stores way back when, when they'd all be pitching you at, at the checkout to get their store credit card. And it was like, how many of these do you think I'm going to walk around with? That, yeah. You know, if this isn't a store that I really shop with frequently, you know, this just doesn't make any sense that it's this, I, I would imagine that a lot of the same uh, psychology applies here, that you're already up and running with some major buy now, pay later options that like I was suggesting earlier, maybe there's some for people with prime credit and some for people with subprime, yeah. et cetera, that, you know, that there's a, a different option there. But if you don't have what they're looking for, hard to be found. And in some cases, they may even go 
right to the website of their favorite buy now, pay later, if they know they're buying a big ticket item and find merchants through there that a lot of them now have these wonderful directories. Mm -hmm. So it becomes even to some extent, a marketing tool um, to build awareness of your website and your brand to that specific audience. Um, We're seeing that across payments, I think, where there are just a, a lot of providers that now work in that way, suggesting, you know, their member merchants that uh that you can work with if you use their solution uh you know so it's it's becoming interesting that everyone wants to sort of build their own ecosystem in that way which mm-hmm. hey i mean it's worked well for companies like paypal so that <laughs> uh, you know there's there's definitely a good book on this one already to follow uh, you know aside from from we've touched on a lot um, but for, from the things that we've talked about, about the the basics of orchestration, um, front end and back end, and um, and and having some redundancy and being able to move faster, are there other things that that you see coming out of the kind of technology that your team is building as it relates to the e-commerce managers or the CFOs, or you know, is there some other big ask that they have or need that they have that that's sort of coming together through this technological process? Um, or- the, the, yeah, there's there's three things here, right? The, the the thing that links everything we do together, and if you talk to any of our merchants, the number one reason they go with us is speed to market. So whether it's speed to new market, rolling out some functionality they need to, that's where orchestration is strong in this space. So instead of needing this army of engineers to build this for you, you now have a platform that allows you as a CFO or your product manager to go in and configure it without needing the army of engineers. That's part of it, I think. Two other very strong things are reporting. Like, don't forget um, the accounts department somewhere in the back end has got to work out who paid for what and how and how it reports back into finances. And the more of the payment options you add, the, pro- the more you'll hear the accounts department getting upset because ultimately, you know, some of these payment types do real-time pay- uh, settlement, like, you know, PayPal. Um, others do same day. Others do one like week. Batch and out the stages, you end up... Yeah like 30 day settlement sometimes. So, you know, yeah. your poor accountant sitting there going, this, I know they sent this item out. When are we actually getting paid for it? And then you don't want to be logging into 14 different websites to work out who paid for what and reconcile it. So consolidated reporting, very, very important. That's again, is something that, that we have in the platform. Um, and, and two other parts of this, the second one is vaulting. So, uh, tokenization is a hot subject across payments. Um, and there's something called PCI, which, you know, as a, as a merchant, you need to hit certain standards. Um, and the way that most merchants have solved this is by working with their payment service provider. So they send the card to the payment service provider, returns a token. From that point onwards, you can use that token to bill. The problem with that is that token is specific to the payment service provider. So now if you want to move, use a different payment service provider, you're kind of out of luck. You know, theoretically, service, your original service provider is supposed to provide that untokenized details back to a new one. Reality doesn't always happen that way. Um, and, but the truth is, as you as you go down, you want an experience where you have the freedom to move. So tokenization is a big one. There's something called network tokenization, which is coming now in the payment industry, which is where cards are tokenized at the, at the acquirer, so Visa, MasterCard, et cetera. And that means that the token that you hold as a merchant is specific to you, which means we'll have less, you know, if the network is breached somewhere, Cards are stolen. You don't have to go out and cancel everybody's credit cards because the only thing they can steal is the token, which is 
you know, specific to a merchant. And that is something that's going to come with some advantages in markets. People are talking about interchange savings in some places, et cetera. But it's hard to manage all those different tokens. So, you know, with, with the Graver, we have a vaulting solution that we've built in that allows a, you know, we tokenize across everything that you need us to tokenize across and we return a universal token to you, which means your customer will be able to pay you whatever happens now or in the future. That's definitely a, a big industry need that's coming through. And then the final thing is data residency. And this is getting a hotter and hotter subject. You've already seen India, Indonesia, China, and Russia, which we can ignore for now, uh, that have all rolled out very specific rules about where your data needs to sit. Um, and, you know, India's probably the most, uh, you know, the hardest one is payment data is no longer allowed to leave India for Indian customers. So if you're busy using, a, you know, your US website selling into India with a USPSP, there is problems ahead. Um, and, and so that's part of the reason we built Gravy as a cloud infrastructure is we can spin you up an edge in India, um, in an Indian data center for your Indian customers that keeps you compliant to data regulation. And I see more and more countries moving to that data residency model. Um, you've got GDPR in Europe, you've got, you know, the Californian laws coming now, but a lot of this will really need, you need the flexibility to determine how and where and who's ever got access to certain data. Um, which you can only do with a cloud solution. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, I, at JetRails, because we deal with, you know, web hosting for e-commerce day in and day out, we deal with a lot of PCI compliance, keeping them secure everywhere on site, mm -hmm. while often there's a hosted checkout that's dealing with, uh, or, or hosted, you know, uh, payment solution uh, and gateway that, that's dealing with collecting the money. Um, and similarly that, you know, we may have to spin them up in AWS in a certain region or, um, or, or deal with, uh, certain inevitabilities in order to be compliant with an ever changing landscape of, uh, of payment regulations around the world. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's particularly interesting looking at this through a few different lenses, um, you know, because not only now, you know, do you potentially have this uh, happening in, in different places, but, you know, circling back, let me actually ask this. When the, uh, when the merchant is managing something through your admin portal, mm -hmm. um, how, how much time does it take them to add, remove, maybe change some orchestration rules? Uh, what is that process like at that point? Because, you know, I'm, I'm imagining something where you can toggle things on and off and it's, it's going to be relatively quick, mm -hmm. which is what's missing for your average. But is it, is it as simple as, as my imagination is, yes. <laughs> is trying to yeah, make it? Yeah, so it's a no-code interface that we built. I mean, it allows you as a, as a non-technical person to go in. We have a, a workflow engine where you can build the rules around how things flow. Um, adding a new payment service provider is literally you go and get your credentials from your state payment service provider, come in, type them in the gravy, press go, and you're live. Um, so it's it's real time. I mean, we we have you know real time de uh, deployment of rules, uh, real time deployment of PSPs. You literally can switch it on and uh, and and do it in like three or four clicks, and it's live instantly. And same as switching it off. So it, it gives you a huge amount of flexibility and so. Back to what we said at the beginning of this conversation about enabling new payment types for perhaps underserved or other groups of people, I think this gives you the freedom to experiment. 
So how often, uh, you know, you've talked to a merchant and said, look, you know, we've always wanted to try a cryptocurrency checkout or we've always wanted to try open banking. And, but we haven't done it because, you know, it's eight months and it might not work. And, and that's where we, I get excited is, you know, we look at open banking in Europe, which is, you know, it's t- taken a while to take off, but every single merchant that we've gone live with has enabled open banking. Um, and they're, they're loving it because before didn't know it was going to work with gravy, three clicks, you're on. Is enabled, off you go, and why not? And now I'm expecting as soon as we've got a cryptocurrency rolled out, I'm expecting lots of merchants to finally get to try it and see see if their consumers want to use it. And it's not costing them engineering. It's not giving them engineering debt, all that kind of stuff. It's literally three clicks and they can experiment, do a bit of A-B testing and off they go. Well, and I think that's part of the magic is that, you know, I've in my marketing experience, you know, I've always been told, don't use yourself as a barometer because there are other people that shop other ways in the case of e-commerce that, you know, might be more interested in a certain crypto checkout or buy now, pay later or subscription or something that maybe I wouldn't be. Um, and that, you know, the only way to really tell in a lot of cases, you hypothesize, but it's to test and that that, that testing medium um, to be able to A, B test and what have you, you know, did we did we get uh, an increase in overall checkout? Did we get an increase in average order value? Did we, you know, all the, the major metrics by offering certain things um, that, that that's often missing. Now, your system is only really dealing with the payments, not the not the entire checkout, not the shipping and perhaps sales taxes and other things. Those would potentially be computed right by the e-commerce platform, you're really just coming in and offering what I'll refer to as as a, a SaaS payments module that's going to take over the ability to manage all those different payment providers. Yeah, so I, we, we're not SaaS. And that's the interesting thing about Gravy is that we're actually, we're built like a cloud company. So we're somewhere between, you know, pass and infrastructures, I've never pronounced that one, but infrastructure as a service, right? Because each merchant with Gravy gets their own independent cluster. So we spin up a cluster for our merchants wherever they need them in the world. It's sole tenancy. They're not sharing with anyone else and it's built for them. And what this means is you can roll out, you know, complex network edges with multi-regional, et cetera, et cetera. And so it fits in... um, it fits in much more to how the merchant likes to run their website. So, for example, you're selling into you know somewhere like Brazil where there's quite a latency issue. If you try and run your website and your payments from North America, you, you can fall into a little latency problems with the checkout for the consumers. We can spin you up an edge of gravy in Brazil in a data center down the road from your payment processor so your customers have that nice rollout. So that's why we, we, we're not a SaaS. We don't run a service. We run infrastructure. Interesting. Uh, you know, I, you were talking a little bit earlier about reconciling and it reminded me, you know, I've heard horror stories about some of the SaaS e-commerce platforms and how they reconcile payments in some cases, very specific, uh, you know, where it can drive a finance team crazy <laughs> trying to uh, trying to deal with that. And, and depending on the uh, on the SaaS e-commerce provider that they have very little control over payments or they're going to pay major uh, major fees to use some third party, things like that. So I imagine that, you know, that, that for those kind of users that of even more interest, the ability to have a lot more control over the gateways and, and the payment processors in order to control the flow of data. 
Yeah, it's flow of data. I mean, it's not, it's it's hard. I mean, everybody reports in a different way. And we, what we pride ourselves at Gravy is we standardize this. So we can give you standardized reporting, you go and see all different types of payments in your reports. Um, you can search them, whether it's a wallet, an open banking, a crypto, you can see it all reported to you. Um, so you're not spending the whole time trying to find things. Yeah. And, you know, so th- thinking about, I guess at that point, you know, we're, we're sort of looking at this independent payment structure. Is, are there reporting tools as well to help to identify, um, you know, so not only the ability to set orchestration, but the ability to really get a feel for the, the total uh, cost, uh, the total lift, things like that of turning on some of these of A-B testing or, or some kind of multivariate testing. Um, or things that that you intend to do down the road that would address some of that need, because I know that you know the tools can are, are often great, but it's the data that that <laughs> helps you to use them sometimes um, that, that can be the trickier part. Yeah, so so that's coming uh, at the moment. Um, it, it re- we have a reporting. We are rolling out what we call calling the payment advisor that will sit there and help you determine what you can do better. Um, and that will, that will look across, you know, big data that we're going to have across spread across merchants. So, you know, what is working in what markets? Um, but also, you know, tribal knowledge. We have over 140 years of payment experience at Gravy. We're a small team, but we're all payment geeks. Um, so I mean, to take some of that information that's in our head and, and translate it there. So, you know, like the example I gave you about Germany before, we can see your volume rising in a certain market and we can say to you, uh, you're, you're, you're getting more business in that market. Firstly, an edge might work. If you spin it up there, it's going to give you, you know, lower latency and a quicker processing. But these are the payment types that other merchants in that region use that are larger volumes. Here's the links. Here's the numbers, phone numbers, email addresses to talk to that provider so you can get yourself set up with an account and off we go. Um, and we're also going to be building reporting around auth rates, how quickly things are, are authing, as well as, you know, costs, like how much are these payments costing you um, versus other payment options. Yeah. Now, I'll throw a curveball at the end here. I, uh, you know, I, I've seen a rise in carding attacks in recent years at JetRails. We do a lot of bot mitigation and things as, as part of the, uh, the firewalling and the overall stack of, you know, of trying to block these kinds of attacks. Um, now, you know, you're, you're not providing the full checkout page, you're dealing with, with payments, but, um, you know, and, and I know there are a lot of companies that deal with fraud prevention and, and mitigation and things in the e-commerce space. Do you see that in, as an interaction or, or a component somewhere of, of your stack at some point? Yeah, so we announced last week, uh, uh, the week before last, I should say, at MRC that we are now starting to roll out the anti-fraud providers into the gravy stack. So the way that we view them is is exactly how we view the payment companies. So you will be able to deploy one or more anti-fraud services. And I think that's where it gets interesting is most cases, uh, you pick one and go with it. And that's what most people have done. But we know certain anti-fraud providers are better in other markets. Um, and we also know some are better for digital or streaming goods than they are for physical goods. So with Gravy, the, the aim is to roll out the ability to select the fraud provider for that product, for that item at that time, um, and, and mix and match. Um, so you'll be able to, to try different fraud providers in different markets, and there shouldn't 
you know, integrating payments is hard, integrating anti-fraud is even harder. So uh, we're going to try and take that pain, pain away and do it that way. But also, like, as you say, the anti-bot stuff, I think there's a lot we've noticed um, over, the, over the last few years. If you start to mitigate, uh, you put in anti-fraud or anti-bot technology very early on or anti-sweat sweat factory technology really early on, you can prevent having to make a fraud call later because you take out a huge percentage of, of potential fraudsters even before payment details typed in. People don't realize the percentage of their traffic that's just bots that, and, you know, I I have uh, friends in the space companies like, you know, Perimeter X that'll, you know, show me stats where it's like 50% of, of the overall hits to the site and like, you know, tremendous. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think that that's a space that, you know, as, as that bot technology becomes more accessible to more fraudsters and things as it it's already very pervasive but uh, i think that it's a problem that will continue to see fester and so it's going to be you know technology problems are going to be answered by technology solutions in this case uh so i'm glad to hear that (laughs) and i had a very timely question apparently um so i'm glad that that came to mind i you know i and i i do see that as it's not only which solutions are going to bl- do the best job of blocking the fraud, but I always love to remind people that it's also you know which solutions are going to let the most good orders through because you'd be surprised that a, that the wrong fraud solution will will do more harm than good. It'll block too many good orders, get in the way of of shoppers and your fulfillment team. And, so I, I, uh, I mean, in, in a previous role, I used to do this, uh, help merchants with their, their fraud services anti-fraud services and i used to say i can get your fraud to zero i just switch off your checkout like it's, it's like <laughs> that simple like um you know there, there is a balance of convenience there's a balance of, of protection and it, and it constantly needs to change and that's why i'd argue orchestration becomes very important because you are going to have to be nimble and flexible awesome well John, this was an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you making yourself available for, for us and our audience. Um, any final words before we wrap it up for the day? No, I think, look, it, orchestration is something to think about early in, your, early in your process. You don't need it right away, particularly if you're selling to one market. But as you grow, it makes sense as an investment, almost like an insurance policy, because it's going to give you the flexibility later when you start getting to need two, three, four, five, six payment processes, having orchestration in means that it's not payments that's slowing you down. Awesome. Well, um, I, I really appreciate it. I hope we'll get to chat like this again sometime soon. Um, in the meantime, to our listeners and our viewers, as always, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy, and happy sailing out there. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.